there is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. In their eyes as they pass is not hatred, not excitement, not despair, and not the tonic of their victory. There is just a simple expression of being here, as though they had been here doing this forever and nothing else. That's a quote from American journalist Ernie Pyle. There was something about tonight's episode that struck me when I first watched it. I felt that feeling in the pit of my stomach that only the best outer limits can deliver. Once you hear the control voice's description, you believe that these men are not part of society. The characters in tonight's episode appear as if they are carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders, and this isn't portrayed through their body language or cadence of speech. Instead, you see it all in their eyes. There's intensity and weariness in there that hides a much greater story as if these men had seen more than any of us could imagine, as though they'd been here doing this forever and nothing else. Now, as always, I will be spoiling tonight's episode, so if you haven't seen it, you can find both seasons of The Outer Limits streaming on Prime, as well as Hulu. You can also find the entire series in beautiful Blu-ray high definition from the good folks at Kino Lorber. Which reminds me, Via Vision is releasing both seasons of The Outer Limits on Blu-ray in one beautiful sturdy box set. It looks incredible, and there are a few new special features and additional commentaries that aren't found on the current Blu-rays. Head on over to the Outer Limits Companion Facebook page, where the main man himself, David J. Scow, has posted pictures and information. Now let's sit quietly while Vic Perrin's control voice sets the stage for tonight's episode, The Invisibles. You do not know these men. You may have looked at them, but you did not see them. They are newspapers blowing down a gutter on a windy night. For reasons both sociological and psychological, these three have never joined or been invited to join society. They have never experienced love or friendship or formed any lasting or constructive relationship. But today, at last, they will become a part of something. They will belong. They will come a little closer to their unrealistic dreams of power and glory. Today, finally, they will join the... I almost said the human race. And that would have been a half-truth. For the race they are joining today is only half-human. Written by Joseph Stefano. Directed by Gerd Oswald with assistance from Lee H. Katzen and Claude Binion, Jr. Director of Photography, Conrad Hall. This episode aired for the first time on Monday, the 3rd of February, 1964. We open on a slow zoom past a sign that reads, 
Mezhol Supply. It's raining in what looks to be an abandoned army barracks. The camera peeks around the corner and we see a car slow to a stop in front of a building. Four men exit the vehicle. One of them approaches the door and knocks. This man wears a very serious look on his face, more intense than the others. He glares at the three men standing in the rain. He then turns to reveal a large hump on his back. As the car drives away, the door is answered by an armed guard who motions for the men to come inside. This was a perfect combination of Gerd Oswald's shooting style with an excellent, apparent delivery of Joseph Stefano's words. The mood is firmly established and I am fully on board. As the men made their way inside, we get a beautiful shot as they walk down the hallway. Leave it to Gerd Oswald and Conrad Hall to turn a hallway shot into a work of art. One of the men bangs his knee on a nearby ashtray, but he composes himself and rejoins the group. A nearby door cracks open and we see someone peeking through the crack. As the men exit the hallway, the mysterious figure walks out the doorway and makes his way to a side door in the hallway. He turns on the light revealing that he is in a morgue. We can hear the sound of vicious growling as the man walks over to slot number eight and opens it. He reaches in and we get our creature reveal for the episode. This creature resembles a large crab with one eye, large fangs, and long hair at the tail end. The man carefully places the creature on the table, but suddenly grabs both his shoulders. With a painful expression on his face, the man shouts to the heavens, Master, we are horrid. We are horrid. It's later, and we're in a classroom where the men are seated. The man walks in and turns to the men. Welcome, gentlemen. The society which you have voluntarily joined is called the Invisibles. It is subversive and illegal. It is also powerful and large. And it is ready. When the Invisibles have become the masters of everyone and everything on this planet, you, the vanguard, of this virile and violent inevitability will sit so high that mankind will come to recognize you by the lines in the soles of your feet. You may ask questions. Are we going to wear uniforms, sir? No. Mr. Panetta. Uh, will us three uh, work together? You will work alone, each man in a different city. You will not see or contact anyone for any reason whatsoever. No, no questions, Mr. Spain? I was wondering when we were going to see these invisibles. <laughs> and then I realized that if we could see them, they wouldn't be called invisibles, would they? <laughs> You'll see them, Mr. Spain. Mr. Castle. Where did these invisibles come from, sir? We were conceived in the nothingness of space, sired by a satyr of cosmic energy, formed by the coming together of sick, nameless nuclei that had waited a billion, billion years for that precise, ungodly moment. We fell to Earth, and the velocity of that fall quickened the seed of intellect at the same time that it stunted the evolution of our primitive form. 
<laughs> the invisibles are not things for humor, Mr. Spain. Their victims suffer to the edge of death. They're never the same again. Uh, no, I, I wasn't laughing at that. I suddenly placed you. Aren't you the governor of... I am the ruler of the Society of the Invisibles. Nothing less. Please remove your jackets and roll up your left shirt sleeves. The leader of the Society of the Invisibles is played by actor George McCready, who appeared in films such as The Great Race, Gilda, The Man Who Dared, and one of my all-time favorites, Stanley Kubrick's Paths of Glory, where he played General Paul Miro. He also made a stop in The Twilight Zone where he played Dr. Bixler in the season five episode, The Long Morrow. He will return to the Outer Limits in the episode, Production and Decay of Strange Particles. Interesting tidbit about George McCready. He got his trademark facial scar from a car accident in 1919. I love McCready in this. The way he delivers his lines gives us a glimpse of his obsession with the Society of the Invisibles. The men roll up their sleeves and are called over one at a time to receive an inoculation. Mr. Castle? Mr. Planeta. What's that against? It's a disease virus from the blood of a host. That is, a man whose mind and body have already been invaded. You see, the creatures will invade and attack any human being they can get their eager claws into, except one that has already been invaded. Since you men are not important enough to be hosts, we inoculate you against accidental invasion. The host must have power, position, influence. He must be in the heart of things. At midnight, separately, each of you will be exposed to a creature. If your inoculation has taken effect, the thing will not attach itself. It will discard you. But if your body has resisted the inoculation, it's later that night. Mr. Planeta and Mr. Spain wake up to the sound of a man screaming in the other room. They peek through the door and see Mr. Castle standing in the hallway. But Castle turns, and we see that he now has a large hump over his right shoulder. Saddened by this, Mr. Planeta shuts the door and turns to Mr. Spain. I guess that's what you look like when your shot doesn't work and one of those sick nuclei gets under your skin. Spain. Huh? Let's run away, you and me. Oh, man. You fold up quick, don't you? No, Spain, honest. I just don't want to turn into a thing like you. You want to turn into something, don't you? Or do you just want to go on being nothing, a nobody, a, a crumb in an empty bread box? Hey. You just wait till those invisibles take over. We're the vanguard, right? Huh? We get our reward. 
we, uh, we sit up on top someplace. Big office, carpets, ice water. Oh, and secretary's jumping whenever you push a button. The door swings open, and the recruiter who inoculated them walks in. Follow me, Mr. Planeta. Mr. Planeta. Look, uh, how about if we go together, him and me, you know, uh, hold each other up. We've lost Mr. Castle. The inoculation failed. Attachment occurred. Improperly. It's not supposed to show like this. We can't afford to lose another of you. Certainly not for lack of courage. Come. Spain and Planeta enter the room. Planeta lays on the table and one of the creatures is placed on his back. Planeta squirms and winces before rolling off the table. Planeta's inoculation was successful. Mr. Planeta is played by actor Tony Mordent, who musical fans might recognize from his role as action in the 1961 film West Side Story. Though he only has 10 acting credits to his name, Tony Mordent was a very prolific television director, directing multiple episodes of M.A.S.H., Busting Loose, 42 episodes of Rhoda, 8 episodes of The A-Team, and 36 episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, just to name a few. Spain takes his place on the table, a creature is placed on his back. There is no fear in Spain's eyes, just concentration. The creature growls on his back for a few more seconds before it is removed and placed back in its slot. Spain's inoculation was successful as well. Mr. Spain is played by actor Don Gordon, who appeared in films such as Bullet, The Towering Inferno, Papillion, and TV roles on Knight Rider, TJ Hooker, The FBI, and even made a stop on the Twilight Zone in the season one episode, The Four of Us Are Dying, and in the season five episode, The Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross. Don Gordon will return to the outer limits a few episodes from now in the season one episode, Second Chance. It's later, and we see Spain climbing out a window. He runs through the rain into the nearby woods where a man is standing there waiting for him. Johnny, it's more horrible than we could have dreamed. I heard the screams. I was afraid it might be you, Spain. I hated not being able to do anything about it. Better get that thing out. Let's get started. Daddy doesn't know I'm out. Agent number 0021. Report number four. Time, 4.52 a.m., 14th October. Arrived at headquarters of organization. Calls itself Society of Invisibles. Head man, Lawrence K. Hillman, present governor of this state. Plan is to invade, to infest key men in government and industry with some alien force from outer space that, that seeps into the human body and takes over. Indoctrination classes begin this a.m. 
No word where we go, when we go. I'm zeroing in on neurotic soft spot of comrade named Planeta. If I win him over, you'll hear from him via the kid brother ploy. Next report, if and when. Advise you continue. Spain is a leper routine. One bad move and you have an invisible in the GIA. Hey, John. You're gonna catch cold in those wet boots. Take care of yourself. I found it interesting that even though Spain was joking in that last little bit, he still maintained his serious-as-a-heart-attack demeanor. We're back in the classroom, and Hillman is addressing the men once more. You see, pinpointed, the cities in which reside rulers, sub-rulers, and directors of this country's lifeblood. You will be sent to one of those cities. A job has been secured for you that will keep you in close and repeated contact with your target until your opportunity to perform the attachment arises, you will be under constant surveillance. If you see anyone unknown to us, or contact anyone for any reason whatsoever, you will be murdered. We'll meet again at midnight. Your next class will take place in the morgue. There you will be taught how to perform the attachment operation. It will be a few minutes yet. We're expecting a new specimen. We see the look in Spain's eyes as they're told they'll be murdered for talking to anyone, and they remain focused. He doesn't seem shaken or worried at all. We're in the morgue where a lifeless body is laying prone on a table covered by a blanket. A man explains that the attachment process is just like the creation of a negative ion, except the alien attaches to the spine. Unsuccessful attachments could lead to physical deformities. While the man continues his explanation, Spain recognizes the boots on the corpse and takes a step back covering his mouth. Later on, Spain still looks puzzled. Hey, what's the matter? I was thinking about a friend of mine. He got killed once in some war. That corpse today had on the same kind of boots. Spain, would you ever lie to me? I mean, if I was... Like, you know, a friend of yours. You could never be my friend. Why not? Because when we leave here, we can never see each other again. <laughs> Why can't a couple of buddies get together and have a few drinks? Meet some girls, laugh it up, you know? Knock it off. Knock it off. What's the matter? Don't act like you like me when you don't. No, I like you. You remind me of my kid brother. You didn't tell them you had a brother, did you? No, they wouldn't have let me join. Why don't you squeal? Mm -mm, never. Look 
whatever city they send you to. You call my brother, see? You tell him where you are. Then I'll call him and he'll tell me. And I'll knock my target off real fast, see? If I have to do it in broad daylight, then I look you up. We have a night on the town. Nobody's the wiser. Somebody will be watching us every minute. Well, you believe that? Hmm? Come on, that's scare tactics. Forget This number, 184-224-0700. Right. And when you call, you say, is this Spain's kid brother? When he says yes, you tell him where you are. 184-224-0700. Right. Okay. Let's eat this lousy chow. This next scene took me back to my days in x-ray school. After our first semester, we were told the location of our clinical site as we turned in our finals. Also, George McCready continues his excellent performance in this scene. Just listen to the man. In five minutes, one of you will be the first to leave. This envelope contains the details of your assignment. Once outside this building, the recruiter will read it to you. Once. Memorize those details. We are trusting you with a mission of incalculable importance. If our trust seems casual, if we appear to be the victims of over-faith, do not be deceived. World conquerors sometimes become fools, but fools never become world conquerors. Mr. Spain? Mr. Spain steps outside. The recruiter hands him a chauffeur's license. But just then, a man peeks from around the corner. It's Mr. Castle. With a look of absolute heartbreak in his eyes, he says, I just wanted to see if they were wearing uniforms. He lowers his head and slowly walks away. Spain is given his assignment. He is to go to Washington, D.C. His target is Hillary J. Clark, Chief of Advisory Boards of Joint Services. The camera fades to a home in Washington, D.C., where a car has just pulled up. Spain gets out and opens the door for Mrs. Clark. As he heads inside the house, Mrs. Clark asks Spain to leave the car out front. Spain heads around the side. This next scene is my favorite scene of the episode. It's a small scene between two characters, but the intensity in Don Gordon's eyes adds so much to it. You can tell Spain has zero trust for Mr. Oliver Fair. Mr. Spain, Oliver Fair. I'm social secretary to General Clark's comparatively new wife. I'm in residence here. Can we talk in your little room? General Clark hired you sight unseen upon my recommendation. Oh? Now can we go in? Why? Oh, never mind. We can talk here. The general will be back about nine. He will have dined, so he'll promptly retire. 
His room is connected to his upstairs study. Oh, I've seen it. I'll keep Mrs. Clark downstairs until 12 or so. I play fine piano and I know all the sad songs. She gets so drunk on sad songs. Who doesn't? Mr. Spain? You'll have an hour or more up there with him. Just the two of you, alone. Spain here. Spain, Mrs. Clark is ready. I'll be right there, Mrs. Clark. I watch you every minute, Spain. Am I being a good boy? So far. Then I can stay in the club. Hmm? Oliver Fair is played by actor Richard Dawson and is probably best known for his role as Corporal Peter Newkirk in the television series Hogan's Heroes. But I know him best as Damian Killian, the game show host in the 1987 film The Running Man. Spain is driving Mrs. Clark down the road when he fakes an engine stall. He uses a diversion to get to a secluded phone booth and make a call. 0021. This is the first chance I've had to call. They've been watching me. Put the chief on, will you? Chief, did you get the tapes? Hallelujah. That means Johnny was clean when they got him. Any kid brother called? Sports of water and power. That's here in Washington, isn't it? It could mean they have quite a few targets here. Is General Clark really getting in tonight? We'd like to stall him, but we can't take the chance. Defense Department beamed at us enough already. CIA isn't supposed to get into space-based messages. Well, I think I'll get another week's grace. Oh, my inoculation runs out tonight. And when I follow up with Clark, they're going to have to give me another shot. Take care, Spain. No tail on you now. We never heard of you. Yeah, I know. Heroes die alone. Spain walks off, but we see Oliver Fair listening in the bushes nearby. He walks to his car, picks up a receiver, and says, he just made a phone call. He should be ready about now. But I'll wait till 9 or 10 just to be safe. It's now 9.15 and we're in the office of General Clark. Fair knocks on the door and introduces Spain to the General. Spain? Uh, if you'll excuse me, sir, I have to get back downstairs with Mrs. Clark. Come here, Spain. Friend or foe? A man doesn't get very far being his employer's foe. More pay, more friend? That's life in these United States. <laughs> I knew when I married my wife that I was what the brain boys called a father image. What I didn't know is that she hated her father. Keep a mental record of every address you drive her to. Maybe you drive her to those addresses, General. <laughs> you may be right. Spain. Don't pity me. 
I've helped win wars. General Clark is played by actor Neil Hamilton, who is probably best known to modern-day audiences for his role as Police Commissioner Gordon in the 1966 Batman series. He will return to the Outer Limits in our next episode, The Bellarow Shield. Spain walks out, and the General presses the intercom. Just then, Spain walks back in. I forgot my cap. All right, now, don't panic, don't panic. General? I wanted to tell you that I approve of the new chauffeur. Spain. Yes, sir? Come here. My wife's social secretary would never speak to me that way, would he, Spain? No, sir. I'm not going to kill you. Man may kill those he loves, but he rarely kills those he needs. General? Get the thing. Bring it here. We suspected what you were when we recruited you, Spain. That's why you were assigned to me. If we were wrong, no harm done. If we were right, and we were. You will kindly remove your jacket and shirt. So now we shall have an invisible in the government intelligence agency. Your inoculation's worn off, you know. I know. It's all happening so fast. So much faster than I expected. All over this rich, great country. Hosts in all the right places. Men like Senator Springer. Wilson Greenberg. Billy. Marilyn. Places so high, no one would believe how high they are. Yes, yes, Buster. Oh. I don't. I, I am very glorious. I, I, I say too much. I dangerous out the front door, but in his haste he doesn't see Mrs. Clark pulling into the driveway. He turns and is quickly struck by the vehicle as Mrs. Clark screams. Spain asks her for help before passing out. He wakes up covering his mouth, laying in an empty bedroom. Spain is clearly in a lot of pain. He looks at his ankle and it appears to be broken. In the other room, Clark and Fair are trying to get a creature brought down so they can implant it on Mr. Spain. In the room, Spain is crawling on the floor trying to get out when the door opens and in walks Mrs. Clark. She starts wrapping Spain's ankle. Why don't you call a police ambulance? Can't you? Mr. Fair has 
tapes of private conversations between me and someone I don't wish to see destroyed. A friend who loves me. Sure. But the swelling, the shoe will never go on. Put it on. Oliver Fair is taking photographs of documents in General Clark's office when he hears the sound of a car ignition. He looks out the window and sees a car speeding out the manor. Fair quickly runs out to his car. We see Spain struggling to stay conscious while he drives, while Fair is seen trying to catch up. The camera fades and we see Fair's car pull up to Spain's, which has been abandoned. Fair examines the vehicle, but there is no one inside. We then see Spain limping his way towards a gated fence. He stumbles a bit, but makes his way inside, passing a sign that reads, Sforza Water and Power Company. He shouts for Planeta when the stranger sends him into the direction of Shed 49. As Spain makes his way down, the stranger picks up the telephone and says, He got here. Spain struggles with the door of the shed, while shouting for Planeta to open the door. We see Planeta on the roof looking down before descending to help Spain inside the door. Planeta places Spain onto a cot, and we can see a briefcase underneath it. Lie down, Spain. Tell me later. I have to get to Virginia. Cross bridge. Gennaro, get a car. Red Spain. <clears throat> Who's Virginia, Spain? Headquarters. GIA. I'm gonna take your shoe off. No. No. No! Gennaro, call chief. Understand car to you. Tonight, we let dark. Oh. City of assignment, Washington, D.C. Name of primal target, Luis V. Spain. Agent, United States Government Intelligence Agency. <laughs> Went to Spain until they told me what you were. Then I saw you had lied to me, conned me. No, Gennaro. No. I, I was trying to help you. I, I didn't want you to do it. They were trying to make you do it. I like somebody. When they trip me, I just want to beat them up. And beat them up till they're all beat up. Planeta throws the alien at Mr. Spain and runs out the door. Spain runs outside after him before falling to the ground. He looks back and sees the alien crawling towards him. Spain cries out for help as he drags himself across the ground, the creature inching closer and closer to him. The pain is too much to bear. Spain passes out, but just then, we hear the sound of a siren approaching. A police car pulls up and three men jump out with their guns drawn. 
the alien creature crawls onto Spain's back. Suddenly, Mr. Planeta leaps from the rooftop onto Spain. He grabs the creature and throws it to the side, when the men open fire, killing the alien, but striking Planeta in the process. The men tend to Mr. Spain. There's a phone in the first doorway. Call an ambulance. Up the other way, Spain. We've got a lot of work to do. They're all over everywhere. We'll never get them all. We'll get them all. Oh. You caught up with Mr. Fair. He's cooperating. Well, let's get out of here. The men pick up Spain and walk him toward their car as the control voice takes us out. You do not know these men. You may have looked at them, but you did not see them. They are the wind that blows newspapers down a gutter on a windy night and sweeps the gutter clean. Well, there you have it, folks. An excellent episode, in my opinion. The underlying tension never ceased, due in large part to Don Gordon's performance, not to mention George McCready's incredible performance in the first half as well. Personally, I wish we could have seen what became of McCready's character, with him being the governor and his unwavering commitment to the Invisibles. I think it would have been an incredible showdown. But you know, these things cost time and money, so we get what we get, which is still a great ending if you ask me. We're left with more questions than when we came in, and that's just perfect. Exactly how deep does the Invisibles infiltration go? Who are these men we did not see? Will they ultimately succeed in sweeping the gutter clean, thus ridding the planet of the alien society? We may never know. The outcome is as unpredictable as a newspaper blowing down the gutter on a windy night. We now turn to David J. Scowls, the Outer Limits Companion, to sharpen the image with some trivia. The finished film brought an immediate phone call from the network censor Dorothy Brown. When she saw the rough cut, she said, I don't know what to do about this. This film bothers me, and I can't tell you why or what to cut. The hungry roar emitted by the alien creature was the Tyrannosaurus Rex sound effect project unlimited use for the 1960 film Dinosaurs. And finally, Joseph Stefano rated The Invisible as one of his favorites. He had the following to say about it. Everyone is so good in it. The way Gerd shot it was disturbing. It's a tight, tense show. And even today, watching a scene by itself makes me uncomfortable. The effect is one of overall pervading evil. So that's going to do it for The Invisibles. I want to say thank you to podcaster Kurt North for inviting me onto a recent episode of his show, Pick Up a Podcast. We chatted about how this show got started, as well as a few things you don't really think about when you get into podcasting that come at you pretty fast. So head on over and give it a listen. I'll post a link to his show in the show notes. I also want to say thank you to iTunes user Hamlet08 for the very kind and generous iTunes rating and review. 
If you'd like to share your thoughts or memories of an episode, you can send an audio clip to Victor at theouterlimitspodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at OuterLimitsPod and over on Instagram at theouterlimitspodcast. So that'll do it for now, folks. Join me next time when we cover episode 20 of season 1 titled The Bellero Shield. Until that time, I am Victor Gamboa, and I return control to you.